I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me and as always are my two fanboys in tow mr eric smith hey everyone and mr carl duty uh the satsui no hado is burning within me which means one of two things either i'm about to give over to my evil murdering intent or i'm back on fangirl radio wow there's a i'm, I'm just gonna let him do the intros from here on out i think that <laughs> might be the best way to go with that um so uh it is awesome to be back um we had a great weekend at yukon oh my god it was amazing and i have to talk about that and some other news um just really really excited though tonight's episode we have a special guest mr alex jimenez who is one of the gentlemen responsible for the legendary street fighter 2 video game which i know carl's beaming behind (laughs) you can hear him grinning Uh, and Alex is also the man that created Darkstalkers, which I personally love, adore, cherish with every fiber of my being. And for er- the Eric Smiths out there, he is also <laughs> in the process of creating a new tabletop card game series. He's got about three, I think, that he's working on. So I can't wait to talk to him. And he's also a huge horror fanboy. And when we first met, we bonded over the loss of Christopher Lee, as you will. Mm-hmm. It was un- it was it was unspoken. He all he he found out I was a horror fan. He goes, "My condolences," and we hugged. Didn't even have Aww. to say why. That was the style <laughs> it was. So, um, but back to the weekend geek, and let's talk about UConn. Oh my God, I met so many amazing fangirls at UConn. The Eugene Comic Con was a roaring success. Uh, I moderated, it ended up being six panels, including my own fangirl panel, which was amazing. And very Hardwick of you. Oh, I, I was. I was the female Chris Hardwick at this show. It was rather, rather amazing. I was, I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. Oh, I'm tired. Um, so, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I ended up, it was pretty amazing because this show, I would say women outnumbered men two to one at this. Wow. It was pretty amazing. And some of the cosplays that showed up. At the end of the day, I believe the number counted of fans that came through the door was 9,000. 
that's a good con. That's a solid, mm-hmm. solid con. For the first, not too bad. For a first con, yeah, that was pretty great. That's and, a first. That the first year you guys did that. Yeah. Wow, that's that's seriously really solid. Yeah, it's a very Where, solid. Con. Yeah, it was a very solid con. Um, we had a couple of hiccups, but it went really well um, after those got out of the way and. We, um, at the fangirl booth, I think I probably ended up, um, I think I ended up giving away signing 400 autographs, something like that. It was pretty, st- it was pretty stellar. And, um, we got the word, you know, famous and we got out the word on fangirl and introduced a lot of girls to, um, the radio broadcast. I had some people come up that actually have listened to the show. And we had one gentleman that knew me from horror hound that when he read that I was going to be there, he was really excited. It was great to hear. Um, and uh, Jim Beaver from Supernatural was phenomenal. I, I modded two panels for him and they were, they were packed out. I mean, they, they were standing room only. And uh, then I uh, modded uh, Naomi Grossman's panel. There was a gentleman from The Walking Dead that has played a dozen different zombies on the show. Um, we did uh, Sarah Buck's um, film panel was amazing and not very well filled with Whovians from right and left. And uh, it was just a really great show. A lot of great vendors were there. Um, and we made friends with our um, our uh, table mates that were next to us. And so there were some we're going to have some great um, uh, reviews up for you on fangirlmag.com from this show because we got some great stuff to review. Uh, so all in all, a stellar convention. And there will be a Yukon 2016. And I do believe that it's going to be the entire Lane Events Center next year. The, nice. the, most, the most important thing to, to find out from this is, did anybody ask where Eric or myself was? No. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Uh, I, all right. Fine. I'm sorry. Fine. No, fine. I'm hurt. Go, I'm sorry. You go sign no your one, autographs. No, no. Uh, no one asked. You, you do you, okay? But we did talk about you. I did. Too, I did. too little, too late. I talked you, about no, no, you. Pump <laughs> the brakes there. What would you say? What'd you say? I, I said that my my crew was awesome and that my I have my co-host Carl and Eric are on and I have uh you're my resident comic boy and my gamer boy and Comic Boy? Comic Boy I'm all man. <laughs> and this is why we didn't talk about <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the other big news is that we um, officially announced um, Harvest Moon pic- uh, Motion Pictures and Television Studio. I'm on board with uh, an amazing company and these guys. Um, I'm helping do PR and publicity for these for them. And um, we've started Tales of Horror has hit Vimeo for episode two. And today... Big, big news in the world of the Harvest Moon Studios. Um, Harvest Moon Motion Pictures and Television have partnered with Tom Holland's Terra Time website as an entertainment media partner. So we are just excited about this because it means that we're going to be hand-in-hand working with a great, great horror news site and a legend in Tom Holland. Tom Holland, the man that made Bright Night. And is the reason we have Chucky. <laughs> Am I not excited enough? I mean, I really, 
I've I've talked with Tom Holland before. I've interviewed him. I actually had to to schedule two separate interviews with him for one article because all we did was talk about stories about Roddy McDowell and making movies and he's like a font of Hollywood knowledge. It's awesome. So Very cool. I am very, very excited about this. Uh, so we will be partnering. I don't know um, you guys noticed, but we have been cross-posting with uh, Terra Time on my Walking Dead reviews and some other pieces. So um, Terra Time is a great, great site. It's pure horror, um, but it is amazing. And uh, Tom's son, Josh, helps run it. And um, we are now partnered with them um, at Harvest Moon. And I'm really excited about that. Um, and speaking of websites, <laughs> before we started talking today, I was just telling the guys, I got my first cis and deceased letter or for, um, for the first time in wow, a long time. Um, cause something I posted, which I hope you got to see before it got taken down very fast. Um, but, uh, it leaked all over. It wasn't just my, um, fangirlmag.com that posted this, but um, as everyone knows, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was cast as Negan on The Walking Dead, and some naughty, naughty person who was not me, let's get that clear, or was not on the set, someone took this video, um, someone took video of what could possibly be the first time we see Negan on screen, it's very blurry, very obviously shaky cammy, and it was posted online and spread like wildfire, and, um, in that video, I'm going to do a description because we had to pull it. Um, but in the video, it's obvious it's Negan. And it's obvious it's Jeffrey Dean Morgan is Negan. And he looks amazing in what you can make out. Um, but there is obviously a very large baseball bat in his hand. <laughs> and there is someone on the ground in front of him. And there's no way to tell who it is. So, it could be... Glenn, we don't know. We don't know what's happening with Glenn, right? No one knows. Glenn has become Sophia. Um, <laughs> he's in the barn. He's in the barn. That's right. There's a barn somewhere and Glenn's in it. Or it could be the rumor is Daryl is going to take the Glenn out instead of Glenn. But you can't tell who it is. And it could just be a double of someone or just a, a an extra there's no telling but it's obvious that lucille is up to bat so yeah and that got taken down pretty fast we're not in trouble um we took it down um but um i i pity the poor person that it gets traced back to that leak that online because they're not gonna have a job or maybe in prison who knows <laughs> it was it was actually just video of their lunch break and they were playing getting a little softball in <laughs> exactly it's just jeffrey dean morgan taking a break with a you know you know batter's cage it's all good it's not real yeah. <laughs> so anyway that that happened today and i just it's it, it's sort of odd when you have a website um and it means that people know or are looking at you or seeing it and that someone pays attention <clears throat> sometimes you don't want him to <laughs> if i if i got a cease and desist order i would frame it i have the email <laughs> I, I would print to... it up and frame it and hang it up proudly yeah the first time it happened it was 
um, it was back when Alice in Wonderland came, was being filmed. And there was a leak of the Mad Hatter test makeup footage, a photo of him holding a bunny in, uh, in the Mad Hatter makeup. And I popped that up and I got a cis and deceased letter from Disney. And I, I shared that information with a couple people I know that run websites as well. And they, 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 they congratulated me for my first one. <laughs> They're like, hey, good on you. So there you go. Um, so there was a couple, uh, there was like three major trailer releases this week that I, I, I feel the need to talk about <clears throat> because it's, it's like two of the two of them. I, I actually posted a, a, a brief on um, one I didn't post about yet on the site, but it's almost like digital special effects, CGI vomited all over these trailers somebody's talking about gods of egypt oh my god what is this <laughs> it's where did it come from and what happened alex price <laughs> it's like wow i and i just watched this trailer today i have to see it i i i have to because it's so much beautiful trash it's like everything cliche that was done in visual effects when like cg really started to take off like every cliche cg shot from late 90s early 2000s just kind of all gang banged and this was their their (laughs) child i i you know and how much hate we had for attack of the clones this has to have an equal if not more so amount of, of visual effects in it Oh yeah, this is total. They they were acting with tennis balls. Yeah, this is, and this is total green screen. The, and, and the other part of this too is the fact that like, not a single actor of Egyptian descent is in this. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Not one. There's so much white. Well, <laughs> Jesus so Christ! White. Like like Gerard Butler is the bad guy and. Then you have Nicholas, I can never say his name. He's going to be Jamie Lannister. His name is Jamie Lannister. He is an Egyptian god. And I'm like, okay, so Gerard Butler is set. Gerard Gerard Butler, like you look at him in the costume, he's got the beard and everything. And we kind of know him as like Leonidas. So you're kind of like, yeah, okay. But then you see Jamie Lannister, like, wow, you are. No, no, it gets worse. It gets so much worse. Jeffrey Rush is raw. Yeah. He's not even in the trailer, <laughs> but Jeffrey Rush and Rufus should it be called, should, it be called uh, should it be called British gods? Because yeah, and what? then there's there's Anubis is played by Goran Clute, who's from New South Wales, Australia. I mean, it's it's like they didn't even bother, and Brian Brown's in it too. I mean, like the only person of 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 color is Toth. And I think this guy's from England. Oh, I'm sorry. He's American. He's American. I think he was in, uh, yeah, he was in 42. I think he may have played the lead in 42. So yeah, the rest of the cast is completely, is completely white. And it looks like so much beautiful trash. I have to see it. Well, see, here's (laughs) the thing. Don't buy the money. Don't, don't buy the money. Don't buy the money. (laughs) 
don't don't spend the money on a ticket because this thing's going to be on like FX in three months. I, and I wouldn't. There's, there's have no this. way this thing makes bank. It looks so terrible. Alex, okay, here's the thing that's sad. Alex Proyas hasn't done a movie since Knowing, which was like seven years ago. And Knowing, um, a lot of people actually thought it was decent, but you know, it was one of the. It was that Nicolas Cage movie where aliens destroy the world, and kind of a thing. I think. I think that's that. Isn't it that one? Yeah, that's that one. Yeah, that one. Because he had a couple of movies there where he, like, the one where he had, uh, like, ESP or something. He could see stuff, like, eight seconds before it happened or some crap. But, like, that was – what happened to the dude that made Dark City? What happened to the dude that made The Crow? Yeah, well, Dark City was phenomenal. And then came iRobot. And then knowing, and now we've got I mean, Gods of Egypt, and I'm not. He quite... was seduced by Hollywood. Well, here's here's the here's the thing here's the thing, and like if you listen to like I listen to uh, some different podcasts and whatnot, and especially like on Nerdist when they have a big name actor on there, a common theme that I've heard kind of come up a couple times is that there's projects that you do that you're passionate about and that you really care about and that you want to do and you put everything you have into them. And then there's projects you do for a paycheck. Well, this is obvious. Well, and I know I've heard uh, Jeffrey Rush talk. Jeffrey Rush is the most no BS person. And I love it because he does stuff just for, you know, shits and giggles. He'll, he'll, he'll do pirates of the Caribbean because he wants to be an effing pirate that day. And then he'll go and do the King's speech for the cred. Yeah, I'm an actor, and then he'll go be raw because he wants to be a god for that day. Exactly, <laughs> and I I respect that. I just I'm I find it funny that this movie has so many big names in it, like Gerard Butler. You got Rufus Soul. You've got Jeffrey Rush, and then it's being dumped in February, which is like the dumping ground of of we know the movie's crap and we're not going to care, and. I haven't heard a single thing about this film until this week, and it comes out in like two months, two and well, a half see, months. Here, here's the thing. Releasing it in February actually gives it a chance to make more money. Right, because it's one of the few movies not, like that. Yeah, it's not necessarily a dumping ground. The problem is like it, you look at this trailer, you're like, wow, how is this not a summer film? Uh, the reason it's not a summer film is because if you make it a summer film, it gets swallowed but, up by everything. But you know so. what's going to beat it into the ground, right? Oh, yeah. February is going to be dominated by Deadpool. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're giving Deadpool that spot because they know it's an R-rated com- comic book flick, and no one else will be going to anything else but that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that they're not going to take the risk of putting it up against the Avengers or anything like like that. They're putting it in February because they know people will go to it. And it's my Valentine's Day movie. Oh, yeah. You know, right. what better say way to say I love you than Chimichangas and Deadpool? I mean, that's that's a date. But now, if I may. Yes. Um, to slightly not. change, slightly change the subject. But I know you were going to bring this up. Uh, since we're speaking of actors showing up in places that we don't expect them, was that Benedict Cumberbatch that I saw in the <laughs> Two Lander trailer? 
<laughs> yes, yes. We're kind of doing this backwards, but we have to talk about Zoolander, which is coming out the same day as Deadpool, by the way. Zoolander don't, don't 2. Mean, don't two Lander. Two Lander. <laughs> Lander is coming out the same day. And and the best part of the of Benedict Cumberbatch's who knows character. We don't know <laughs> if he's a girl or if she's a man, but her, Do you the hot dog or the bun. The the name the name of the character is All. Yeah. A L L All. That was literally, at least to me, the only funny thing about the trailer. Mugatu! Oh my god, Mugatu forever! I about died when he was walking out there all buff and he all took buff. <laughs> Oh my god, Zoolander is coming. I'm, I'm curious to see what they end up doing with, like, because Christine Taylor is listed as in it, you know. But I don't know if he's as predominant a character because you you know it was all it seemed like it was all about penelope um, Cruz. Cruz. yeah yeah uh, um but i i'm sorry i zoolander is probably my favorite favorite ben stiller movie like i'm i'm noticing a lot of these this is like the third sequel the the next one of which i'll mention but the the third sequel that is kind of, at least from my perspective, way past the expiration date of the original. Like, Anchorman 2 was so far removed from Anchorman 1 that I think it kind of lost a little bit in what in what it could have been. Now we have Zoolander 2. And now, for some unknown reason, because someone thought we didn't say everything we needed to say with the first one, we have a <laughs> My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. I don't, I really, I, the thing in that movie that is killing me is the fact that the lead actress looks like someone sucked every bit of fluid from her body. She looks so frail. I I, I, I didn't so much notice that. I'm just kind of watching the trailer. Just it, like, it didn't look like, funny at all. Why, why it, do we need this? I, I really don't know. I mean, Zoolander 2, the, the, the whole the whole world we live in now is still rife with things that they can poke fun out. Like with the Kardashians and stuff like that. There is so much they can make fun of in this movie and get away with it because they're talk They're, they're talentless people that getting are getting by on their looks and no other talent. And they have real people like the Kardashians who that's what they're doing. And yeah. you can go just run with it. Yeah, now, I can see that. that yeah. That's, that's a good perspective on it. Yeah, and so then you have but Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know who asked for that. Did I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for it. Yeah, and it looked painful. Like I uh, certainly didn't ask for it. I didn't <laughs> ask for the first one. Speaking of sequels that no one really asked for, <laughs> this is a nice segue. Huntsman Winter's War. <laughs> Is, now, is this, does this have to do with Snow White and the Huntsman? 
No, well, it doesn't the, deal with Snow White, but it does have to deal with the Huntsman. Yeah, but so, it's, the, it's the Huntsman from Snow White. Yeah, and, Snow and, White the Huntsman. and so basically what they did was they took the only characters anyone gives two craps about and got rid of the walking zombie of Snow White as played by <laughs> Twilight Girl, you know, Kristen Stewart, who had the personality of one of the logs the Huntsman was cutting. Um, so... What I'm lo- I'm laughing about this trailer is the fact that Frozen is such a massive thing now in the world. You can't get away from it, and you're never going to be rid of it. It took over Once Upon a Time, and now they've had to utilize the character of the Ice Queen in Huntsman Winter's War to the f- point that it's the Winter War because of the Ice Queen is the evil queen's sister. Is Olaf going to show up? I'm waiting for it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's funny because I'm watching this trailer and I mean, the, the it is, it's, it's, they took frozen and mixed it with Thor and that's, this is the movie. They don't have a Snow White in it anymore at all. And Chris Hinesworth is basically playing Thor with an ax instead of a hammer. And that's it. And oh, look, random, you know, dwarfs that help him out. <laughs> so yeah, it it's, uh, it looks so bad. It looks so bad. I don't know. I, I, I did anyone ask for this? The same people that asked for my big fat Greek wedding too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and 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 they got Charlize Theron back. And she's, I guess the whole point of the movie is, because they show quite a bit of the movie in the trailer, is her sister, the Ice Queen, because, you know, sister power, um, is wanting to bring her back to life using the mirror. But I can't tell. I thought this was a prequel, but I guess it's not. They don't even know what it is. Because if it is a pre or a, a, a sequel instead of a prequel, where is Snow White? Uh, who cares? She's raising huntsmen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Huntsman babies. So I guess it is a prequel, though, because you actually see the huntsmen grow up with Jessica Chastain as his love interest and how dare they fall in love. And yeah, so there you go. That That's, I don't know. So I, one out of three decent trailers. Yes. No, no, there, there are no decent trailers. I knew you were. <laughs> I'm sorry. Zoolander 2 cracked me up. I am sorry. I, I'm a sucker for Zoolander. Okay. No, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to. And you know of Egypt is beautiful trash that I am going to see because I can't say no to oversized giant man gods. And that's. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a like, <laughs> There are so many directions I can take. I, I know. That. Did your brain just blow a gasket? I'm just going to kind of, you know what my brain just did? Remember Star Wars when R5-D4 is rolling back to Luke's hut? And then it just kind of, <laughs> that, that, that's what you just did. Speaking, of which, speaking of which, the day as the day of this is recording is November 18th, which means, folks, <laughs> 30 days. Yes, it is. It 30 is. days away from Star Wars The Force um, uh, Awakens. And apparently there are Star Wars specific, Star Wars themed 
3D glasses that you can buy. You're not going to get them. You might get them when you go to the movie. Um, I'm going to the IMAX, so I don't know if they're going to have IMAX specific, but they do have real 3D Star Wars glasses that you can buy at theaters right now, and they're themed to characters, and I want the Phasma ones. <laughs> I'm not when, for first viewing of the film, I I rarely, if ever, see it in 3D, unless it's something like Avatar. Um, Avatar was, uh, I saw an IMAX, it was such an incredible 3D experience that it was three quarters of, of the way through the movie before I realized that the movie is terrible. The, so, but, the but, movie is Fern Gully with better FX. It it's, it dances with wolves is what I can. It's the last samurai. <laughs> we can keep going. It's <laughs> Name all the movies that it is. is. <laughs> I mean, unobtainium? Really? That's what you come up with? Unobtainium? And yet he made more money than you'll see ever, or I, or anyone listening to That's, this. <laughs> but, but yeah, like for, for this, I just want to see like regular standard screen first, then I'll probably go and do an IMAX showing of it probably the next day or the day after. Well, I, the reason I went with IMAX is because our theater allows you to um, assign seat IMAX only. Ah, uh, yes. We have one of those theaters around here, and it has spoiled me. Oh, it's awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so with that, we're going to go into our TV recaps because I have to talk about Into the Badlands. Yes. It blew records away with its premiere, and it was awesome, which a lot of people were, like, doubtful of it being good. I had seen it early, and I knew it was going to be great. Um, it is so pretty. It's visually stunning. Yeah, for a, a TV series. If you love those old-school 60s and 70s samurai slash kung fu flicks that like with the um the seven deadly venoms and that kind of a thing you will love this the, the fight court if it Go is ahead, Carl. do you know if it's going to be on hulu i doubt it dang it yeah <laughs> sorry here's the thing baby comes got to reevaluate expenses unfortunately cable was one of those things that got reevaluated been there. So I, I haven't rid of cable. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard good things. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. It is, and and the lead actor is awesome. Oh, he's fantastic. Um, and you know this was created by the guys that made Smallville, right? Which, which isn't necessarily a ringing endorsement because that show really had its ups and downs. But this is something so completely different. And as I said, visually stunning. If you, it's almost the complete opposite of the very dreary look of The Walking Dead. Right, it's a and gray show. And and the the thing is, they have already established in the first episode the myth of of the show and the 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 world that it's set in. They and they did it very fast. Right. It's, it's very simple, at the same yeah. time, and uh, handled really well. And with the whole no guns are allowed thing. Mm-hmm. You get this. Be- they have to have beautiful choreography because that's all they've got. Oh, that fight choreography, that first fight scene, <laughs> was just incredible, just amazing. 
Oh, it was so, so good. And I'm really, I'm really excited because I love Martin Sokas. He is, he's a great actor and his character in this, it, the whole thing is just going to be so, the other thing you got to remember too is, yeah, yeah, these guys did Smallville, but this series is, oh, and by the way, Stephen Lang, speaking of, speaking of Avatar, Stephen Lang is going to show up in this as an ex um, one of uh, like the lead actor, I can't remember what they're called. The, um, Clippers, the Clippers, he is going to come in as a ex Clipper. I think he's in a wheelchair now. Um, mm. maybe. And, um, he is supposedly the most brutal, badass Clipper there has ever been, which makes sense. Cause Stephen Lang and, um, I am, I can't wait for him. I love him so much. He's one of the reasons I liked Avatar. The only reason I liked Avatar <laughs> because he's just, the dude is built and he's awesome and he 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 like is so he sucks you in man every scene he's in he's like the center so for him to you be like what? a badass clipper in this is going to be great you know what's funny though is like i think of him and yeah he was like one of the few redeeming things about avatar but i always just go back to tombstone oh oh jesus any everybody should go back to tombstone if they were in tombstone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they were in Tombstone, then that's the movie you should go back to. It's as sad as I I I forget and in like out of my mind Terra Nova. There was no Terra Nova. I don't know what the hell that was. Terra Nova, no. Oh God. He he also had a fantastic uh smaller role in public enemy. The Johnny Depp movie about oh, John Bellinger. Yeah. I kind of I kind of blocked that from my mind too. Why? That's a fantastic film. Oh God, no, it's not. Yes, enemies? It oh no, that I'm, movie I'm, should have been so much more than what it was. I'm I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, too, Lander. Say that again? <laughs> yeah, you, there is there's specifically supposed to be stupid, and then there's why is this so bad? This man did heat. I disagree. Oh no, you're the only one, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I you are allowed your opinion, but that's I can't. I'm a Johnny Depp girl, and I couldn't stand that movie. Like hardcore Johnny Depp girl, and I couldn't do it. They screwed up so much of the history. Ugh, sad. <laughs> now you brought me down. Um, so, so Badlands. <laughs> Badlands was great, and I can't wait for it to get better. And we did give away. Um, we did our giveaway on the site, and I emailed the winner. And hopefully she'll be emailing me back to get that beautiful book that I was sent by AMC. So Gotham. Who watched Gotham? You. I, I'm, yeah. I'm the only <laughs> one that watched Gotham. Okay, you guys missed a great, listen, great episode. Listen, until, until you tell me we're ready to do our trial of Gotham thing, I'm like, I'll catch up then. But okay. I, well, I, I'm sorry, I just can't get behind the show. Surprise, surprise casting in Gotham showed up, and that was Michelle Gomez, who plays Missy on Doctor Who as a villain named The Lady. And um, great play by her. She looks great in a suit. She just wins all the things. Um, Gotham was a great episode. Jim Gordon got to visit his dark side in this. Um, some great fight scenes in it. Um, just action-packed. Uh, he's winning me over more and more. 
Um, in this episode two, we get to see the bromance between the penguin and the Riddler grow. And they bond over evil and bad things. And those are some great scenes, actually. Uh, Robin Lloyd Taylor is just phenomenal. I, I love him as the penguin, and he really sells it um, in this episode. I, I just really liked it. And I heard, I saw a lot of people were bashing this one, saying it was a mess. I thought it was, you know, it focused on three specific things, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It gave equal time to those three plot lines, so I was very pleased. And like I said, I love, um, there's a whole um, belief that there, the Court of Owls is coming and appeared in this episode. It's the Court of Owls that um, uh, James Frayne, who is still alive in Gotham. I think this is a record for Frayne on characters keeping alive in TV series. I think we've reached the James Frayne threshold. He better not die tomorrow in the next episode. <laughs> I'm going to be really <laughs> pissed. Um, so yay, Gotham. Yay. Um, I zombie. Air. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I zombie was uh, a fun, fun episode. A I, lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I'm I'm curious to see. I like the whole karma came back to bite Ravi in the butt. <laughs> that was that was just mean of him. He no, he needed to dump he, her. He needed to, but he she was done crazy. It. He could have done it in a far better way than he handled it. By text? Well, just you know, <laughs> giving her a chance to like you know, it would have been far far better handled. I do find it interesting. I like having Blaine and Liv on a on a stakeout together. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Blaine is just always so much fun, except when he's killing his grandfather. Oh, it was sad. <laughs> he didn't want to do that. No, I, uh, I, I, I'm curious to see if he realizes that his dad is missing, and is one of the ones that has been taken. That, that's well, gonna... yeah. He after as it... soon as he put his grandfather's brain in the Tupperware, that guy came in and gave him the news. Well, did he did he know that he was gone, gone, or did he just disappear? Does he has he put that together? Um. I would assume so. Okay. Because I wouldn't think he'd really care. But then again, he wants him to pay. So it's kind of a vengeance thing, too. Well, I think the, I think the reason he was upset was that he just killed his grandfather so he could feed his brain to his father. Right. And then his father's not there to give the brain to. So it was kind of like he killed his grandfather for nothing. Right. Well, but he did put him out of his misery, kind of a thing. I am, yeah, I am curious to see what happens when they realize that Peyton's new, new crush is Blaine. <laughs> That'll be I, interesting. That's going to be fun. Robbie is going to have a great time with that. I did really, really love the magic thing, though. That whole plot line this week of the magicians, the whole thing was great. I really loved it. Well, I will. Can we talk spoilers? Yes. Um, as soon as I saw the, the mute magician, I knew it was a woman. The teller to pet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Smoke and mirrors. Mirrors. Yes. Yeah. Mirrors. As soon as I saw mirrors, I knew it, I was, knew a it was a woman and knew that that was going to be the killer. Yeah. Um, I actually thought that he was going to be the one that seduced the guy away oh, yeah, but the old then man. They, yeah they switched that around so yeah but um, i'm gonna let you guys talk quickly about the flash funnily enough carl uh, this this episode of the flash can be summed up in two 
simple words. Gorilla City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it was the last three seconds of the show or whatnot. And we've but, had this conversation before. We've talked about this. We're living in a time where we're seeing things that we never thought we'd see from a comic page on a television screen. And Gorilla freaking City. city. <laughs> it's like when they, when they did Grodd and they explained Grodd, it made sense within their world. And you're like, okay, this is cool. We have Grodd. We don't have Gorilla City, but we have Grodd. And they're like, no, you're getting Gorilla City. <laughs> <laughs> so now, do you think Grodd is going to put together an army and invade Earth-1? Why not? Why not? <laughs> exactly. Anything, listen, we have gotten, we've gotten Golden Age Flash. We've gotten King Shark, and now yes. we've gotten Gorilla City. Anything is on the table. And two other th- two other words: uh, Hawk Girl. A great yeah. look at Hawk Girl. Yes. Oh, it was an extreme look at Hawk Girl because I even I saw that they were they were po- posting that all over the internet. Yeah, she looks fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like a full on screen reveal yet. It's just Cisco. Um, tapping into his vibe powers, for lack of a better term. Um, It was, again, a really solid episode with Grodd coming back, um, becoming more self-aware, becoming smarter, realizing that he is alone. He doesn't want to be alone, so he kidnaps Caitlin to try to figure out how to make more of Grodd. It was almost a Frankenstein kind of thing. Yeah, almost. Almost. But what the, the best part, at least for me the episode was was that uh it was the return of john wesley ship as barry's father as and just some, no wait that was the 90s yeah just some amazingly emotional scenes between him and barry mm-hmm. um, and it's it was those were the best parts of the episode for me i mean it was a very action-packed episode as it usually is um but the any i'm always a fan of any scenes between barry and his father probably because I was extremely close to my own father. Now, I, um, for, for a very short time, I was a little disappointed that it seemed they were going back to the well, to the, to the second episode, and reusing the exact same thing that they did in the second episode, um, which was have someone pretend to be something they're not. In the second episode, Jay Garrick, who has no speed powers, dressed up in his Flash costume and tried to convince someone that he was still the Flash. Yeah. And this episode, they had Harrison Wells, the Harry from Earth 2, put on the reverse Flash costume and tried to convince Grodd that he was the Harrison Wells that created Grodd. I mean, and yeah. I, it, it but, kind of... Well, then I thought, well... Of course, the characters are going to say, hey, this worked before, for the most part. Why yeah. not try it again? So I, I, for a moment, I thought it was sl- uh, lazy writing, but then I allowed my brain to adjust and say, well, no, that's, I think the people would say, if it worked before, let's do it again. So I, I wasn't as upset anymore. <laughs> yeah, think of it this way. It is going back to the well, but it's not abusing the well. Exactly. If they did it like every episode, oh, we got to dress somebody. Although they did it with Dr. Light, too. So this is technically the third time they've done it. Yeah, but it also it made sense with uh, Light. 
It did. It's made what sense with make? all of them. So, so I got to ask you guys because I was reading around. I'm trying to get sort of in 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 the up to speed, as it were, with the Flash. Pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> uh, there's so many. Um, what do you think about the theory that that um, they're going to have Barry's dad from one of these other Earth realms? Be re- I think they said he was going to be reverse Flash. My, I would love to see. I want him in this suit. I want Zoom to be Barry Allen from Earth Two. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was listening to uh, Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman, today, and they kind of forwarded that theory. I was like, yes, I like that theory, and that's what I would like it to be. Yeah, they're saying that it could be his dad, which would be awesome because then John Wesley Shipp would be back in a suit. <laughs> yeah, could, when they, that's. Go ahead, Carl. When they were uh, developing the series and they cast John Wesley Ship, I wanted him to be Jay Garrick so badly because it would have been so perfect. He's the right age. He's the right look. Like, he's great as as Barry's father. He is fantastic. But I think if he, w- if he was Jay Garrick, that would have been amazing. I think either one works. And to me, either one is about on the same level, whether he's playing the original Flash, Jay Garrick, or the father of the current Flash. To me, either one would be really, really cool. And I like that. I think we got more more of him as the father because Jay Garrick obviously hasn't even been on the show that much. So we've gotten more John Wesley Ship because he played Barry's father as opposed to playing Jay Garrick. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we have ran out of time to uh, discuss Flash. Um, We're not fast enough. So um, we're going to... We've got to be quicker on our feet. We've got to be quicker on our feet. (laughs) Um, So we are going to go get our next guest for the show. So just one moment. So everybody, I would like to uh, welcome for the first time to Fangirl Radio, Mr. Alex Jimenez, who is one of the men behind the awesome legend of arcade, Street Fighter 2. And he is also the man who created Darkstalkers, which is my personal favorite fighting game of all arcadedom. And uh, Alex, welcome to Fangirl Radio. Hey, great to be here. So I know Carl is dying to talk to you. Eric is dying to talk to you. But I get to go first because it's my show. Okay. <laughs> get the old show, yeah. I get on my show, my show. Yeah, get, get your old show. My uh, show. So my first my, – I, I, I want to talk to you about – because um, we've, we've talked before about, about how Street Fighter 2 – you, you and, and your crew kind of had to fight for that to happen, and you told me the story of how you hand-cut the, the borders for the machines <laughs> yourselves. And, yeah. And I just yeah. – can you take us back to that time because arcades were still okay. – th- this was such a major, major release, and no one believed that it would be as big, as big a deal as it was. Yeah, it's funny. I, I started at Capcom in November of '91. And uh, Street Fighter had uh, two had just been released that previous summer, so it had done well. It was it was you know it was pretty popular, but it hadn't really gone the, the distance yet. It was kind of starting to taper up. It, you know, usually most arcade games they have a four or five month run, so it was beginning to like level off. Now at the time, uh, the the guy I was working for at Capcom, 
Uh, if you ever want to get him, he's he's the the real force behind Street Fighter Two. Uh, he he's the guy who just his name was uh, was James James Goddard, and he was to say he was a fanatic. Well, yeah, I, I don't think fanat- fanatic <laughs> is too weak a word. <laughs> he really, I mean, he lived, ate, and breathed Street Fighter Two. So he kind of picked up the ball and really pushed it. He was the one that started organizing tournaments, you know, started coming up with uh, the, the special maneuvers as far as like locking maneuvers and combos and things like that. I mean, he was just like, he was so into it. It was ridiculous. So he went to Japan. We went there because they were like, well, you know, what else can we do with this, you know? And he was like, well, we, could, we kicked it around and we're like, you know, like all Americans, we want to play the bad guys which is something totally alien to the Japanese. <laughs> they, they couldn't figure that one out. They were like, what do you mean you want to be the bad guys? No one wants to be the bad guys. We're like, we do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we love villains in America. You know, we root for villains all the time. Pick up a Marvel comic book. How many times do you root for Magneto? <laughs> you know, <laughs> So we, we love bad guys. I mean, it shows. So we were talking about taking the original four villains, the first four end villains, Balrog, Sagat, and Bison, and Vegas. And we were going to like make them playable characters and japan was dead set against this and they're like no no that's never going to work and i was like yeah we will we'll rebalance them we'll retune them a little bit and you'll see it'll work and we'll also have character versus character to which japan also was like that's impossible they can't play us of course they do it happens all the time man versus man it's a constant <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and and you know it, it's one of the key forces of literature you know so it's like we had to, and they we really had to argue it we argued over and over and over i myself i had to actually pull up you know, I showed them everything from clips from the original Star Trek series where Kirk fights himself. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, it's just like this, really cool. You know, so like, okay, yeah. So they they turned around and they said, okay, in October of that year, they had just released a game called Captain Commando, and it didn't do very well. It, it didn't sell very well. They had 400 leftover cabinets. They had 400 cabinets of it left over, and they said, if you can, we'll make 400 chips. We'll make 400 game cartridges. And if you can sell those 400 in, say, six months by the end of the, the, the period, the quarter, which ended in March, if you can sell those by the end of the quarter, we'll consider it, depending on you know demand. So James, myself, and, and, and David and the other guys, we, we sat down and just played the crap out of Street Fighter for a week straight. We were there literally probably 14 to 15 hours a day. <laughs> we ate so much pizza, it was ridiculous. We, we had them on speed dial, <laughs> you know. And we just played that thing and balanced it and retuned it and balanced it and took so many notes, it was ridiculous. So we retuned it and we, we gave them all the numbers and specs. And while they made the actual game cartridges, you know, while they burned the EPROMs over in Japan, we had to make our own cabinets. So if you look at some of those early cabinets, like the one down at that arcade place, if you look, you can always tell the ones that we cut because we had them printed at a standard printer. I think we it was like a Kinko's, basically. <laughs> it was Alpha Graphics. I think Alpha Graphics printed them up for us. But they didn't cut them for us. We had to hand cut them, 400 of them, you know, uh, with razor blades and, you know, real slowly and, and painstaking. It took us about a week just to do that. Our hands were just like we breathed in so much paper dust. It was ridiculous. But um, we hand cut the, the screens and the, the edgings of it to actually fit behind the glass to put on there. So if you look at some of those older cabinets, if you look at especially if the print quality seems a little cartoony, 
a, a little lesser. You look at the edge. The edges look a little ragged, like they were cut by a razor blade or, or a dull knife. They were. Those are the ones we cut. <laughs> and um, seeing a few of them, there's still quite a few of those around. I was really surprised how many of those are still out there. There you go, uh, Carl. That's what you want to look for. Yeah, you want to look for the raggedy, raggedy edges. Of course, when we finished and they sent them to us, they were really full of scorn because they were like, oh, you're never going to sell these. You're never going to – no one's going to want them. Okay, whatever. We, we took the cartridge down to a place in California in Sunnyvale called Golfland. And uh, that used to be the Capcom testing ground for a lot of years. <laughs> and um, we, we displayed it there, and we, we tested it for a week. And the machine was so full, the coin boxes had to be changed every day because they were just jammed full. The first time we got called in, the guy thought it was broken because it wouldn't take any more coins. And we oh opened it up because the, the coin box was full. And the coin box inside an arcade game is fairly sizable. You know, it's, it's about a, a foot by two feet long. And it was just full. <laughs> it weighed a ton, too. All those quarters are really heavy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when word of this got out, it went out to a few other testing zones. And when word got out, the, the, the gamers just flipped for it. And that became Street Fighter II Champion Edition. Wow. You know, that's what they decided to call it, was Street Fighter Champion Edition. Uh, that was James's name for it, and I, I, I thought it was cool. And the game was so popular, we sold out of those 400 units in under two weeks. I mean, the, wow. the orders were just – the phone was just ringing constantly. They were calling us up directly saying, I want three of those. I want four of those. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had arcades that normally would buy maybe one machine. They were ordering five, six, you know, more. By the end of the month, we had back orders for another 5,000. Oh, my God. 5,000 arcade games is considered a smash hit. By the time it was done, we'd sold almost 20,000 of those things. I mean, we were covering every every arcade, every every, uh, 7-Eleven. uh, every supermarket, they just—they were everywhere. Everyone wanted it. <laughs> you know? So I, after that, I, the success of that, yeah. I, I remember at that point, like GamePro was talking about that it was coming out, and mm-hmm. you know, this was obviously the time before street dates. Not that arcade machine ever really had street dates, but there were two major arcades in the area I live in. And every day after school, one group of friends would go to one arcade, one group of friends would go to another arcade to see if it was there yet. And we we did that for like, I think it was like a month or something, because GamePro had done coverage of it pretty early on, saying that it was coming (laughs) out. Yeah, we bribed them. Uh, (laughs) We we did. We we bribed them. We knew knew the reporter. He was a, a real Street Fighter II fanatic. And uh, once we tested it at Golfland, you know, GamePro used to be, we used to have one of their offices not too far from us down in Santa Clara. And um, he came by and, and he heard about it and he couldn't play it because it was so mobbed. He couldn't get near the thing. So we took him aside and, and we went, we're like, yo, Mike, um, you know, we have one in the office that we keep for ourselves for um, <laughs> testing purposes only, <laughs> you know. And, and and he looked at me and he goes, how many of these kids do I have to sacrifice to go play that? <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, how many do you want me to sacrifice for you? And I was like, well, let's let's talk, you know. And, and we took him aside and we said, look, all we want is an honest, honest review. Give, give us a good, clean, honest review of what you think of this thing. And And, and he played it and he was like, 
we couldn't get him off of it. I think he played his. I think he stopped when his, the, the controls got too slick because his fingers were too bloody. <laughs> you know, I mean, literally his hands were starting to bleed because he was playing it so much. Well, my my and husband he, used to play it at the um at the nickel. They they moved it finally to the nickel arcade here. And he'd already played it to the point that he'd gone to finals and stuff. Like he went to the world <laughs> championships, and he yeah. had a line of people that were like that would scrawl through the arcade to take him on i mean it's, <laughs> yeah it's it was crazy. it was the thing it, it was the thing it was it was the it was the super smash hit um i mean they hadn't the arcades hadn't seen anything like that i was told they hadn't seen anything like that since pac-man you know i mean the last time you saw a game that phenomenal it was it was pac-man and Ms. pac-man those were the last two they had big like that was and those were back in the 80s so it's been close to 10 years since they've seen something like that how and, uh, how different was the final version of champion edition from what those early testings were not too much we made some fine tunes you know we made a few few adjustments a few uh, fine tunements we uh differentiated the colors of the characters so they can tell them apart more easily uh, originally the original test version m bison it was kind of after you know because they were jumping around back and forth back and forth it was a little hard to tell which one you were fighting you know um, we didn't make too much. I think that's a real testament to James Goddard's tested, you know, uh, balancing ability. He really did a, a knockout job of, of making that thing solid, and uh, and the team as well. I mean, they, we we all worked really, really, really hard on that sucker. Uh, we we yeah. had something to prove. We were young, we were hungry, we were stupid, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we, we we really wanted to prove it. Uh, the attitude, and this this was the thing. The attitude was. Um, they were. T- our bosses were told. Our, our boss was told, "You got to do something about these guys. They're making too much noise." This was before the game was released. And they, what do you mean? Because they, they think they can design a video game, and Americans can't make games. That was a direct quote. Oh. Americans don't know how to make <laughs> video games. So that's, our boss. That's ironic, was, considering was, the state of gaming right now in the world. <laughs> well, considering that Americans practically invented video games, yeah, you know. So yeah. I was like, okay, you know, it's. It's like, you know, you guys, after, after Star Blazers and, and Speed Racer, you shouldn't be talking about culture contributions, okay? Oh. Seriously, you guys have got to be, you know, there's a reason you've been militarily neutered, all right? <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, seriously. But that, that quote was told to our boss in confidence, you know, that's just to keep to yourself. And, of course, he came by and told us it. You know, he, he told he's like, oh, I'm going to tell you guys something here. You know, so that kind of really fired us up. You know, that was like, okay, you know, the sleeping giants have been roused once again. You know, <laughs> and, and we're gonna we're gonna prove to these idiots we know what the hell we're doing. You know, we're gamers. It's like, you know, are you are you designers? Are you game programmers? No, we're game players. We we're American player. We know what we want to play. People know what they want to play. You know, we're not going to make these yeah. games so fancy that you can make a PhD out of them. We're just going to make fun games that you want to play. So that was yeah. kind of our mantra, you know, just hell with the making it sensible or logical or, or storyline or anything. Don't worry about any of that. Just make it fun. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people who aren't um, like super fans of the franchise, things like that don't understand. Cause it's always been kind of like the, the running gag with street fighters. Oh, what version is this? Is it ultra super mega edition? It's not yeah. about <laughs> that. It's about, it's about the refinement. Like it, w- yeah. it would have been so easy to have. Okay, we've got this hit with Street Fighter Two. Let's move on with Street Fighter Three. But the decision was yeah. made to keep refining Street Fighter Two to get it to its 
its best version possible, which was, yeah. you know, most people agree was achieved with Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. Where yeah, that was, a good I guess my, yeah, my question would be like, where was that? When was that, and how was that decision come to of instead of moving on to three, which like what the industry would have expected, and what fans would have expected, yeah. but to just stick with two and just keep refining it. There was the original creator of Street Fighter was a gentleman by the name of Nishitani. And Nishitani was, he was like us. He was kind of the Japanese version of us. He was young. He was a gamer. He, he emphasized make it flashy and make it fun and people, you know, they'll, they'll keep coming back to it. So he had done the original first Street Fighter 1, which um, was a little different, you know. It, it had the same basic concept and whatnot. And it did... It didn't do well, but it did well enough that it merited the sequel, Street Fighter II. After that, there was sort of, you know, they, they gave him enough of a boost in prestige that he was sort of able to kind of, uh, you know, be, be, between that and Champion Edition, when we, when we did Champion Edition, we didn't call it Street Fighter III. We called it Street Fighter Champion Edition. The reason being, and, and this was something that I carried over into Darkstalkers later on, which was, you know, it's not really another sequel because we're not adding any new characters to it you know i mean these are all the same characters it's the same basic game we haven't changed the gameplay enough to merit calling it street fighter 3 that should be he he and and we over here we agreed street fighter 3 should be something way different we didn't know what it would be but it would be way different you know it had to be a quantum leap above what we had so they said instead of risking doing a bad version of 3 and killing the franchise itself you know, it's like instead of killing the franchise, let's concentrate on really refining this this thing down to its, its pure franchise form. That way it stays safe. And we'll do this by, you know, incremental steps. So for Street Fighter, after Champion Edition, you know, we, we did, we listened to our players. You know, we, we used the magazines and, God, if we had the Internet, it would have been a lot easier back then. But, um <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we didn't even have the internet yet, you know. I mean, the military wasn't letting us use it yet. So we we went to the magazines, we went to players. I went to different arcades all over California. I went to ones in, in San Diego, and I, I went all over the place. And I would ask players, you know, what would be cool, you know, what would make this better. And we noticed that the players were getting really, really good. You know, they were getting really, really good. So we said, well, we made it faster. You know, we made the moves more powerful. We made more more different kinds of maneuvers. And in that way, the players told us what they wanted to see. We refined it, kind of tuned it a little bit, and, you know, pumped it back out to them. It's Turbo Edition, and it was Turbo Champion Edition, and Super Turbo Deluxe Champion, you know, uh, version after that. The next step after that one was... Um, the next Street Fighter, where we introduced the four new characters. And we're Super like, well, it's Super Street Fighter, exactly. And it was like, you know, it's not really Street Fighter 3 yet, because we wanted to do something different for Street Fighter 3. Street Fighter 3 should be really, really totally different. Now, you got to bear in mind, this was before uh, the 3D revolution came along. This, this was before they came up with, like, you know, Tekken and all those other ones that would use you know, virtual fighter that would use a three-dimensional plane. That was yeah. the next quantum leap. That's kind of what we were thinking about. We didn't quite have it yet. We weren't sure. But looking back in retrospect, I think that's what we were looking for. We wanted to do that kind of three-dimensional 3D game, you know. But that wasn't possible with the arcades, with the technology we had at the time. So we did, you know, Super Street Fighter, and we did new characters. And by that time, 
we had been with them long enough, we'd kind of, you know, Nishitani wasn't the only boat that rose up. Ours went up too. Our stock went way up because they didn't want to admit it. The Japanese very begrudgingly admitted it, but they're like, yeah, these guys did make a very successful title, you know. And even the president of the company was like, he, he finally stepped down and he was like, look, he, he went into the R&D department over there with Okamoto and he's like, look, you know, you may not like it, but these guys made the company a lot of money. And if they did it once, we're going to make them do it again. <laughs> you know? So, you know, I was like, we're, they're, they're going to do this all the time. So, you know, I, I believe the phrase he used was heal your egos and work together. Yeah. Wow. And I think, I think so. it's good that the when the time eventually came for Street Fighter 3, I think it's good that the decision to stay 2D as opposed to going 3D, because not only did you guys uh, create a game that is still – widely considered in the fighting game community to be the apex of street fighter which was street uh street fighter third strike but also probably one of the most visually beautiful traditional pixel games that's yeah, been out there i mean just the animation like a, in street fighter 3 is gorgeous yeah they were i'll tell you right now what they wanted to do for that was something we always wanted to do we were sort of like don't don't forget street fighter was inspired by fist of the north star Okay, that had a very strong influence on it. And that's kind of what they really wanted to do. They wanted to do that kind of version, that kind of cell-tinged version where you'd be, you know, flying around and wouldn't be able to tell. I was told point blank, they were like, we want to make it so that when you're playing it, people won't be able to tell if it's a video game or if they're watching a regular anime show, you know, on television or in the movies. Yeah. They wanted to make the animation that smooth. And uh, I, I think, with, with, yeah, with, as you were saying, with Street Fighter Fight first strike i think they finally got to that i think they reached that plateau and it was really really cool back then of course that was you know <laughs> that was fodder for dreams for the future but um we we did that one and then when we did the uh, champion edition when we did the uh super street fighter they gave us the control of the four new characters you know and that's when we came up with with cammy and, and t-hawk t-hawk was my creation t-hawk was one i was like hey, i want to make him a native american make him an indian you know because I'm, I'm part native american so i want to see one of our guys get in there <laughs> and um, the the original first concept they sent back to me, they they sent me a drawing back because I, I did a drawing. It's like you know he's a big guy, uh, you know he's he's a really big guy and and he's strong. He's like an Indian wrestler, you know, real big, tough and strong. So a day later they faxed me back the the, the initial concept drawings of this big bulky guy with uh, so many muscles you couldn't really see him <laughs> and he's wearing a, a, a tiny strip of a loincloth with a big <laughs> oh, feather geez. bonnet war feather bonnet a big giant tomahawk you know and he's doing war whoops and whatnot I'm like okay uh, i thought you guys had learned the first time but i hate to tell you this african-americans aren't the only ones sensitive to this kind of stuff you know <laughs> as a native american no okay it's like well what's he going to look like how can you have tough indian you know all i can say is oh my god i hate to admit this thank you fasa thank you for coming up with shadow run at just the right time <laughs> you know, i just i just literally made i tore the cover off my shadow run book and all the artwork inside of it i hear make them look like these guys okay you know <laughs> and they were like oh okay we see now and i was like okay so we we finally got kind of got t-hawk in there and um I had to shorten his name down to T-Hawk because I didn't have enough room to put the whole Thunderbird thing on there. But I want them to call it Thunderbird. But they were like, oh, no, no, they can't do that. So we made him T-Hawk. Um, well, that was the funny thing about working with the Japanese is you, you had to be continually 
on guard for the things they would slip by. Like their version of Cammy, when we sent Cammy, it's like, how about she, we'll make her this young military girl, you know, like a military academy girl, real sharp, real smart, you know. And they sent back Cammy, and the, the backstory they came up with was she's 14 years old and she's M. Bison's lover. <laughs> God. So, uh, I remember getting that, and I, I called up Tom. I was like, you know, Tom, you guys, you, you've confirmed it. He goes, what's that? Japan's the biggest island of pervs I've ever seen. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? I've always suspected it, but now I got confirmation in black and white when I read this, you know? <laughs> like, you guys have been reading too much freaking Lolita, all right? You know? <laughs> oh, my God. And on that note, <laughs> Eric, I know you wanted to talk about um, – Alex has got a – you, you're working on a series of card games, correct? Yeah. Oh, and yes, one of them great. I'm really excited about because it's horror-themed, right? Yeah, it's, it's got the, the stars in it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing uh, – I decided to, to try something. I got a challenge from someone, and I decided to take up on it. And uh, I'm, I'm doing a card game, one of, one of the many – and the concept behind it is, is real simple. It's a very simple game. I like to make it real straightforward. The rules are, are it's not a collectible type of thing. It's just straightforward. And um, it's based on, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but way, way back in the Stone Age in the distant era, there used to be a thing called Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's the reason... It's the reason we looked forward to the weekends, you know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you put up with being in prison in school for eight hours a day for a week, and then you know on the weekends you got a parole and you watch Saturday morning cartoons. But after the cartoons were done, they used to show movies. You know, before before Fox and all the rest of them took over syndication, they would show movies. They had afternoon movies, and these movies were always given different themes. There was Wild West theater. Remember Black Belt theater. You know, where they would show kung fu movies, and you know, you had Wild West theater, and you had World War II, you had battle theater, it was all World War II movies. My favorite was Creature Feature. And oh, yeah. They always show Remember Creature Feature? <laughs> WNEW, old Creature Feature. Um, you know, I used to love Creature Feature, and Chiller Theater, Chiller was another good one. Well, they'd all show these, you know, old movies from the 40s and 50s and whatnot. And, and that's how I got, like many people my age, that was our introduction to the classic movie monsters. You know, Frankenstein and, and Dracula and all the rest of these guys, the fly and all the rest. So I'm, I'm doing a card game based on that where the, the characters on the cards are the different monsters and whatnot from these old movies. And I'm calling this one, you know, lo and behold, very original, Creature Feature. <laughs> you know? And nice. uh, as, as I was making it, I thought, you know, let's, I really want to, I did it in Darkstalkers, and I'm a man of habit, so I want to give homage to a lot of the, a lot of the old actors and performers who, who did these things, you know, nobody remembers these guys anymore. And uh, I, to make it interesting and to keep them being sued, uh, <laughs> I've kind of scrambled their, their names around a little bit. So it's like you'd have to do your research. Like, you know, my, my vampire, he's, his name is Blasco, Bella Blasco. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's the original and, name. Yeah. So, you, yeah, who remembers yeah, who that I, is? I know who that is. <laughs> you know who that is? You know who Bella Blasco is? All right, who's Fenric Blasco? Oh, Oh, you got me. You got that me. That was his father. That was his father. Okay. <laughs> his father who told him who told him to go on and be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there you so go. His you father got... was the one that encouraged him. So I was like, yeah, let's give these guys some some uh, some some trivia. So a lot of the creatures, I'm I'm pulling them, you know, classic movie monsters, and I'm giving them either either their catchphrase from the movies, or or like for the Hunchback, you know, I have him up there. I have well, you know, his quote is, "Why wasn't I made of stone like the?" You know, that's. Aww. If you've ever seen the, you ever seen the Charles Lofton <laughs> Quasimodo, yeah, uh, you, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Can you go through that scene without tearing up when you see that? You know, 
I was like nine years old, and it made me tweep, you know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, yeah, all the creatures have names from the different, uh, different monsters and whatnot. The, the names of the actors and the performers and whatnot. I think someone should really recognize that these guys were really great actors who gave it their all. They may not have had the budget to really pull off something good, but they did the best with what they had. And okay. the fact that we're still watching these movies and we consider them classics of classics, that's, I think that's the monument to their endurance. Um, I want to make sure they're not forgotten. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's my, my little spiel on that. I'm, I'm currently right now, I'm actually printing up test decks, and I'm testing it up here. I'm looking to get some artists who might be introducing some monster art for me because I'm, I'm looking to get something that will actually depict what these guys look like in the movies. And um, if I can get that put together, I'm hoping to do a uh, – eventually the, the goal is to either do a uh, Kickstarter campaign, get a little cash together, and from that go on and actually publish and print them. I've got a couple of publishers who are interested in it now. So if I can get it all put together and get so it out if there. So if you hear that artist um, – Alex is looking. So, if you want to, if you want to get in contact with Alex, you can get contact through me, and I'll get you in contact with Alex if you're interested in <laughs> getting some drawing done, um, getting your drawings possibly looked at to be a part of this for sure. Yeah. And currently, we have two different sets right now because I've done creature feature and I've done gangster theater. So they're all all gangster movies from the 30s and 40s and, and 50s and whatnot. <laughs> Uh, no gangsters, real gangsters. Okay, the, the original ones. The ones that we look at today's gangsters and look at take one look at them. Okay, pull up your pants and you know straighten out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Eric, did you have any questions about that? Because you're our resident gamer boy. So what do you have any questions about the card game? Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about um, the play of the game? Yeah, the play mechanic is real simple. It's, it's kind of a, a, a rummy dynamic with a little war thrown in. Uh, each card, there, there are five different suits, and they're numbered. And some of them have little tweaks and twerps on them, little different things. At the start of play, everyone is given a different victory condition that's okay. dealt in secret. And the victory conditions are, you know, you, you obviously you have to achieve this before you, you know, to win the game. But since no one else knows what your condition is, there's no way to know. So it, it, it's a real simple, easy game to learn. It's a simple, you have a discard pile and you have a draw pile. Uh, you're dealt out your hand, and then you have to, you know, go on to get your condition. You, you discard, you pick up, you discard. You there's a few other mechanics in between, but it's it's a real simple, straightforward mechanic. It takes about 30 seconds to learn it. One of the things I designed specifically in it was I wanted something real easy to learn, but with a lot of strategy involved. And most of my players who have played this have all made the same comment that this is really a very deceptive game because it seems so easy. And yet, as you're playing it, you're suddenly looking at everybody with very suspicious eyes because you're like, gee, he picked up that card, but she took that one. You know, it's like, you know, I wonder what his condition is. Mine says here I have to gather up all beast cards, you know, all the brutes. I've got to get seven different brute cards, you know, okay. But wonder what his is. He turned down that one, but took the other one. So it's, it's a kind of a, a guessing game of like, gee, what does he have? What do I have? You know, um, it's, it's a kind of a – I had a friend who, who played it and was like, this is – he, goes, he, he, he liked it because it's deceptively simple. You know, you think this is something you play real quick, real easy, and then you see the layers of strategy that are really required to play this. And uh, it's like a high-stakes bridge poker game, you know. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, it's kind of got the best of both worlds, like poker, but it's like, it's like bridge, but with a fast-paced poker stance to it, you know. Like, you can tell you're an arcade gamer, you know, because everything's fast with this, you know. <laughs> it's kind of a fast and furious. Um, Beyond that, it's like I said, I, I wanted to keep it. I'm a fan of simple games. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I really do. I think games should be for playing. If you want to discuss philosophy, pick up a book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but when, when you want to, yeah, seriously, you want to, because I've been challenged on, oh, your games are so empty. I was like, well, it's a game. You put a quarter in, you play. What do you expect for a quarter? And let's keep it G-rated. <laughs> right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll cut you off right there because I'm from New York. I know what you else you can do with a quarter, okay? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, and I was telling the guys that the first time I met you, we instantly bonded over the fact that we had lost Sir Christopher Lee, and, and all it took was yeah. you going, my condolences, and like, hug. And we <laughs> But I, that just makes me happy that the first game is going to be something themed to that and themed to the classics. Yeah, and, well... For for Sir Christopher, I mean, he he was just the man. That, that, that's kind of partially what inspired me to go forward because the original game concept, I kind of kicked it around for a few months, and then after after Sir Christopher went, I was like, okay, I've really got to kick this in the high gear. That's because I'd already done the gangster cards, and I was like, you know, the gangsters are cool and all that, but you know what? I want to do creature feature. I, I got to do something to to commemorate this, you know. Uh, and Sir Christopher for me was more than just a great actor. He was the last one. Yep. You know, he really was. It's like I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, I, I feel like I just watched the last of the great dragons pass, you know. Oh, He's God. Wow. You're going to make me ball, <laughs> damn it. Stop. But that's, that's the thing. Just <sighs> because they're gone, though, but that's the thing. It, it, it falls upon us. It's like, you know, what can we do? We, we've acknowledged there will never be anyone else like him. Uh-uh. You know? And and that's one it, thing it, I, I have to say. I It does my heart good to know that people like you and and or just as affected by him as me and i just recently bought the hollywood vampires um record the new one mm-hmm. that alice cooper and and joe perry johnny depp did and it's the last recorded audio of christopher lee and and it's the first mm-hmm. thing you hear on the record and it's called the last vampire and his yeah. and his voice is still so powerful and it's the you line where you hear him he actually says it the children of the night what music they make music they make yeah. oh my god i about you know freaked out just listening to that <laughs> <laughs> he he is the author but that's the thing with him i mean like i said i i acknowledged <clears throat> i i had to acknowledge there will never be another like him and i look up at the stars hoping another you know another red sun will explode and i'll see the rocket coming but you know, oh man <laughs> it, it hasn't happened i mean it just won't it, it won't happen again so like you know, what do we do? The last one is gone. The last of the great dragons has passed. It's like, well, you know what? Since they'll never come again, we have to make sure they'll never be forgotten. Yeah. You know, it falls mm-hmm. upon us. And not just Sir Christopher. I, I want to extend that also to all of them, you know, to, to Bela Lugosi, to Vincent Boris Karloff, Price. to, you know, Peter Lorre, all the rest of those guys, you know, Vincent Price. You know, he was he was so awesome in so many ways. You know, it's just I want to make sure they never get forgotten. I did it, like I said, with with Darkstalkers. Most of the characters in Darkstalkers are named after those guys. Yep. You know, oh. or, or or characters they're in. It uh, was the, it the was mummy. so funny because we started talking and the guy that um uh, um we're, we are we we were introduced via our mutual friend Tim, uh Tim and Tim's uncle was standing there watching us talk and he just was like doing it was like a tennis match because we were just talking about work <laughs> and we were just standing there and literally we had just met and and dave um his name's dave just was like my god i i, I should just walk away <laughs> well we, we got talking about dark stalkers and I was yeah like, oh, i was like yeah i, I create that was that was one of my first one after D and um 
it was just so funny because they Japan came to us and they were sort of like, you know, well, we have this great system, this head-to-head fighting thing that nobody else has yet. You know, what can we do with it? And, you know, like, I, we looked at them, I was like, what are you, nuts? What can you not do with this, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I drew up a list. I had this big, massive list. It was like, I want to see gods versus goddesses, you know. Let's have the Greeks go up against the Norse who go up against all the rest of them, you know. I want to I wanna have, you know, I, I wanted to do so many. I was like, so let's have Godzilla and all those guys go at it, you know. Let's have Marvel versus DC. Let's, let's do the, <laughs> the Universal movie monsters, you know. And and they liked of all of them. They thought the Universal Movie Monsters was was the catchiest one. So uh, they didn't want to actually you know pay money and license that from Universal. So they're like, well, let's just make our own. Let's just make our own monsters. You can do that. And I'm like, well, if I can't use the Universal monsters, let me do the next best thing and use them. You know, use the guys and and and, and kind of flip it in sideways. That's why Riku is you know he's named Riku. He's it's Riku Browning, uh, the creature of the Black Lagoon. Um, the mummy is is Anankatis, which was the the combination of the, the mummy's names, Katis and Anas and Ananka from both mummy movies with Christopher Lee and, and Boris Karloff. You know, so that's I'm a I'm a nerd. I admit it. I'm a I'm a geeky nerd. And, and <laughs> you're you know, one of us. <laughs> fit right in. If I feel if I feel this helps in some way, you know, if I can get it in some way, the fact that folks like you actually see that and read it and go, oh yeah, just what I always thought. I thought that was what it was going at. You know, it's like I, I one of the proudest moments of my career ever in all my long career. One of my proudest moments that really made me smile was I met Riku Browning at a comic con one year. Oh, nice. Uh, this was back in, I met him back in, I believe it was 94, and he was there. He had a little table set up, you know, and not many people were visiting him because it's like, you know, who, who's this guy? And this old guy, you know, he trained Flipper. Oh, wow, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, you know, he did more than train Flipper. This is the original creature of the Black Lagoon, you know. And I talked to him, and, and he was there with his daughter, and I, I mentioned that to him. I was like, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, and I told him what I did. And I think I made his year. <laughs> You know, I mean, he just got this big, huge smile on his face. He's like, seriously, really? I want to see this. I want to see this, you know. And, and we, we hunted around, and we found an anime book, and there it was. You know, there's a picture of it. And he goes, oh, my God, that's so great, you know. And he's Aww. like, they remembered, you know. So I, I kind of went home with a big smile on my face going, wow, I made one of the people I admire happy, you know. So I was like, to me, that made it all worth it. I was like, it, yeah. That's you know. the best thing ever. So, Alex, I thank you so much. We're about to run out. I, I think we went over, and I don't really care because I love talking to you. Um, but we, we would love to have you back and, and talk, sure. more, especially when, like, everything gets going with the, the cards and the Kickstarter gets off. Come back on mm-hmm. and talk to us some more because I know these guys enjoyed it, and I, I totally love talking to you. It's so much fun. Sure. But uh, any any questions or anything like that, feel free anytime. I mean, yeah, and and send us all the info. Um, send us all the info on on the cards once you get your Kickstarter set up, and we'll post. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, Eric's in line already to buy them. <laughs> well, if Eric, if Eric can get down to to rainy day games, I'll be testing it down there. Uh, that's that's on Thursdays. I go down there every other Thursday. They have a rainy day games down in uh, Aloha down here. They have an open new game night every night where they have local developers come and bring their games for testing. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's very cool. It's an awesome. It is. It's very cool. It's a great game shop, too. I can't plug them hard enough. They're really cool. Nice. Um, yeah, they're rain day games. They're right off of here, off Aloha, next to, uh, right across from us. God, not too far from where we live here in, near Hillsborough. 
Well, if you want to come out to Cleveland and do that, I'd be happy to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of spread out. Eric's in Cleveland. Carl's on the East Coast. Oh, well, okay. What part of the East Coast? I mean, you know, uh, I, I just like the idea that a, I just like the idea that a local game store is inviting local developers to come up and test their stuff out. I yeah, that's great. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I was just you know, talking about how big of a, a success UConn was because it was all local people that came out and just was amazing. We had yeah. we had 9,000 people at UConn this year. Yeah, you see, that's and that, that there is my challenge for the game industry. You know, game game stores and game clubs. It's like, hey, why don't you open your doors up and let the other guys in test their stuff? Definitely, because it all has to start somewhere. You know. Well, Alex, thank you so much, and um, like I said, we you're welcome back anytime. This is great. Oh. I'm talking to you, man.